it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 183. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to le- read some great listener questions we got from our guests, and we're going to go ahead and do our little give and take. So I'm going to turn it over to my friend, Andrew, and he's going to go ahead and read the first question. Thanks, Dave. Let's get into them. We got some good ones. So this one says, I was hoping you might address this on the podcast I keep reading about how asset allocation is an investor's most important decision, but nobody agrees on how to do it. More specifically, my question is about bonds. I've read suggested allocations everywhere from 0% all the way to 80%. How much should I dedicate to bonds? If it helps, I'm 42 and have about 250,000 in investments. Thanks, Matt. Well, that's a great question, Matt. And yes, so you are Absolutely correct. Nobody does agree with it <laughs> on how to do it. There are as many opinions about this as there are blog posts and people giving opinions about this. There is a lot of detail and a lot of data out there on the range of things. So here are some of the thoughts, and this is kind of the way I look at it. Really, you have to boil it down to your risk tolerance is really what it comes down to. Bonds by and large, are considered safer, air quote, safer investments, mostly because of the nature of how they work. And they generally have a lot less volatility, and they also have a lot less growth potential. Uh, Stocks, by far, are going to earn more money over the long term than bonds will. However, bonds have a lot less uh, volatility, and they help anchor a portfolio and help you weather when times are tough. Because generally, when stocks go down, bonds do well and vice versa. 
It doesn't always work that way, but as a general rule, that's kind of how it goes. Now, the old school method uh, used to be that it was a 60-40 split was kind of what a lot of people would always kind of suggest. And that what that meant is you would do 60% in stocks and you do 40% in bonds. And a lot of that really comes down again to your risk preference and your risk tolerance. Because generally, again, going back to stocks, they can be more volatile and there's a lot more risk of drawdowns of a company going bankrupt and losing your capital that you invest in the company. So there's more risk associated with buying stocks than there is bonds generally. So that's why they usually have a a skew such as a 60-40 mix. That used to be the kind of the standard cookie cutter. Everybody goes with that and you kind of go off of there. Some things have changed over the years and uh, the portfolio that uh, that I have, and this is what I do, is I, I go around 70-30. And so I go about 70% stocks and 30% bonds. Now I'm 54, so I'm quite a bit older than Matt is, but I also have a greater risk tolerance. So I'm comfortable owning stocks because of the nature of the companies that I buy. I'm not buying super aggressive, very volatile companies. I'm buying generally more, I guess, risk averse type companies, not boring companies, but yeah, some of them are boring. I'm not going to lie, but uh, some of them are great companies. A lot of them are great companies, but the point being is that I build in the risk that I want with the companies that I buy as well. So there's different aspects of, of asset allocation, but I want to focus on bonds for this part of it. So uh, one of the things that I was taught when I was in the banking world was to go with a, a bond house asset allocation based on your age. So in other words, if you're in your 20s, having zero to very minimal bonds was recommended because you had a longer time frame to invest and the stock market is going to do great over a long period of time. And if there are bumps in the road, you have time to overcome those bumps in the road. As you get closer to retirement, the recommendation generally is to start allocating more and more of your portfolio to bonds or fixed income to help offset any of those fluctuations that may happen in the stock market because nothing would suck more than as you get closer to retirement to have all of your stock portfolio crash three days before you retire. And it's happened to people before. And fortunately, I it hasn't happened to me and I'm not retiring yet, but anyway, it, it is something to consider. So you know, being 42, really, you know, I, I'm not a licensed investor. So take this for what it's worth. You know, my suggestion would be to go with whatever you're comfortable with. And if you are comfortable with being a little more aggressive and having a bigger portion of your investment portfolio in stocks, then maybe go something like 80-20. And if it's something that you're a little more conservative and you're a little more nervous about how things are going, you could always go 70-30 or 60-40, kind of depending on, again, going back to whatever your risk tolerance is. But the the biggest part of that is making sure that you don't just buy one bond. Uh, a great way to do it is is looking at 
bond ETFs and having maybe a basket of those and having two or three of those kinds of things. And some of that kind of stuff can help kind of, I guess, even out everything. What you're really looking to try to do is kind of smooth out the returns. And the other thing is you don't have to, just because this is something you decide right now, in a couple of years when maybe the market conditions change, you can always adjust it then too. So it's not something where you just decide I'm going to do 80% stocks and 20% bonds and that's the way it's going to be until you're done. You don't have to do that. You can adjust. You can, you can move things back and forth as you wish. So there is a lot of flexibility. So I hope that helps answer your question, Matt. And Andrew, did you have any thoughts on this? I had a follow-up question for you, which you kind okay. of touched on a little but what kind of things went into your decision to go 70-30? And based on what you said near the end, it sounds like just because that's your allocation now doesn't mean it's written in stone. But what what about your specific situation? I guess your risk tolerance made you pick 70-30 versus something like 60-40. Was it market-driven? Was it completely investor-profile-driven? What, what, what do you think it was for you? For me, it was probably more investor profile driven than it was necessarily the market conditions per se. Uh, right now, the market is kind of heated, obviously, but for me personally, where I am in my financial world is I just, I wanted to be more aggressive. I didn't have as much money set aside for me personally. And so I felt like I needed to be a little more aggressive to try to catch up. But by the same token, because I am closer to the end than you are, Andrew, I wanted to have a little bit more allocation to bonds to help balance out any sort of fluctuations or drawdowns that, that might happen in, in the long term. So, you know, my, my idea is I'm not going for the 25% a year kind of thing that Warren Buffett did when he was, when he was a young, a young lad. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, doing less than that, understanding that my, my goal is different than some other people's. And so it really, for me, it, it comes down to, I guess, investor preference. Is it to say the time frame too to have like a, a ten year or twenty year time frame versus like a forty year time frame or fifty year time frame? Does that factor into that a lot yeah. more than maybe some of the other stuff? Oh yeah, for sure. It, because I because again I'm I'm farther along in my path than than. I would want to be, I mean, if I was 25, I would be in all stocks and I wouldn't even think about it, but it, because I'm older, I want to have, I guess I want to hedge against something happening that would take a longer period of time to recover. That was one of the issues that a lot of people struggled with during the great financial crisis was there was a huge drawdown. And the market was down for several years before it started to recover. And as we've talked about in the past, there are some companies that still haven't recovered. Uh, it took years, you know, almost a decade for a company like Microsoft and Coca-Cola, Cisco to recover from the, the dot com boom. And I, I don't, I didn't want to, I don't want to be in that position. So if something like that happens, you know, God forbid four years from now and it goes on for another 10 years, I don't want to be in that position. And by allocating more of my portfolio to bonds, it helps me ensure that I won't be in that same position. 
When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms, no more awkward conversations, just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online, no uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free, no insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash investing. That's HIMS.com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I like that. I think it gives good insight into your brain and how you're thinking about it and why that allocation makes sense. Thanks. Thanks. I'm trying to do a lot of research and read a lot and try to think about all these things to try to help myself as well as other people, because that's what we're here for. All right. Uh, Let's move on to the next question. Hello. Uh, Can you talk here on your podcast about investing and wanting to be able to take money out of an account before age of 65? I know Roth IRAs are super beneficial for tax reasons, but what if you want to be able to take out money out of retirement account before you're 65? Does investing in an individual brokerage account make sense for that? Really enjoying the information you provide. Thanks. Andrew, what are your thoughts on that question? So let's break it down really quick. So a Roth IRA basically shields you from a tax perspective. So you can put money into it. And then when you take money out, you're not going to be taxed on the gains. Now, the problem with the Roth, like the person who asked the question eloquently said, is you can't take money out before the age of 65. So there are a few rules to keep in mind with the Roth. Number one, you have to wait until you're at least 59 and a half, which is, I don't know, kind of an arbitrary age in my opinion, but you have to also have money in there for at least five years. And if you don't make those two requirements, then you pay a early withdrawal penalty, which as of the date that we're recording this is 10%. And you could also pay income taxes on your gains. So Dave, you pointed out to me before the show, there's a difference between the taxes you would pay on a Roth. So as an example, I'm going to steal your example that that you had. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, if, if you bought a stock like Disney at, say, $150 in your Roth IRA and say it went up to $200 and you sold it. So if you're taking that money out early before the age of 65, you're going to be taxed not on the $200 that you sold it at, but on the $50, which is the gains you made on that stock. Uh, you'll get income taxes on that plus the early withdrawal penalty of 10%. If you're looking at Another option, the individual brokerage account is an option, which is kind of like opening a checking account. You just open the account and then put money into it, and then you can buy stocks, sell stocks, collect the dividends, all all those sorts of things, and not have to worry about rules about when you take it out. You know, you don't have to wait until retirement. But problem with that is you're going to face capital gains taxes. You're going to face dividend taxes. And so depending on how much you make determines what your dividend rate, your tax rate is and your uh, income tax rate. So also how long you hold the stock. So if it's less than a year versus one year or more, then that's going to change your dividend tax rate and your capital gains tax rate. So some positives and negatives to obviously... If you want to invest, but you also want to have money to spend now, then having either a retirement account can feel like like uh, it, it's kind of controlling you 
or having a brokerage account can feel like you're not making much because you're being taxed on it. The, the, there are a few good things about the Roth that you can use the money for early. So if you are paying for education expenses, if you're paying for a first home, if you're paying for expenses for a birth or an adoption, those can those can qualify as exceptions that don't fall against the the early withdrawal fee and those all those taxes that go along with it but other than that if if you do want the money early you probably don't want to put it in a roth if if you're looking at money that you want to spend in the next 2 3 5 years you probably don't want to have it in the stock market anyways because like Dave mentioned in the first question, the stock market is so volatile and you could have stocks crash and not recover for even a decade or longer. So if you're wanting to pull money out soon, you probably don't want to put it into stocks and maybe you look at something more conservative, like you could do a short-term bond or you know short-term bond funds, or you can put it into treasury bills, you know, lots of different options. You don't have to buy stocks. And so if you're looking at shorter time periods, that's a way to do it. Then again, you know, if you have a lot of extra money and you don't mind paying a dividend tax, you know, you, you collect your dividends in your regular brokerage account. Make sure you put some aside so you can pay for your taxes at the end of the year. That's a good way to go too, you know. Um really can't go wrong there, but those are the things to keep in mind when it comes to wanting to take out money early and not necessarily wanting to put everything into a Roth or if you have more money outside of a Roth, those are, those are all things to keep in mind. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Those are all great points. I really don't have much to add to that because that's a great answer. Cool. Well, let's let's move on to this last one. This one ties in nicely to what you were talking about earlier. A lot more questions about this lately, so it must be something on people's minds. This is from Phil. He says, Hi, Andrew. I've just started listening to your podcast, which I'm enjoying. With a view to start investing in the new year when my compensation is returned to full. My question is, I'm arriving late into the investing scene. I'm 42. When I listen to the podcast, you're often talking to 20-somethings, and I can see the longer-term benefits for those guys as they have an extra 20 years on me in terms of growth. My question is, what would you suggest for someone starting later in life? I'm sure that is a more in-depth conversation, but is one I'm interested in hearing your views on. For context, I am a UK citizen living in Dubai, so I have some tax advantages that some of your listeners do not, and my compensation being later in life is probably on the more generous side. Anyway, I would be interested in hearing your thoughts. So kind of goes to what you're saying earlier, but you know, sort of a different conversation. So why don't you start this off, Dave? Okay. Thanks. Uh, that's a great question, Phil. And, and this is actually something that, uh, I, over Christmas break, uh, I was having with my family because my, uh, two younger sisters were asking me a similar question. So I guess by, them asking me this question, I can help answer Phil's question, I guess, with my thoughts. So here are some of the things that I have been thinking about and have thought about. So I guess the, again, it comes back to your, your risk tolerance and I'm gathering that he feels like he can be more aggressive. And if that's the case, uh, 
then probably what I would do, and this is what I've done, is find a few companies that you think have long-term prospects that uh, can be kind of your anchor, if you will. So for me, I looked at some different companies that I felt like were going to be around in 20 years and have good growth prospects and are going to be solid, stable companies. And then I start building around those. So in other words, I pick companies that I think are good, great companies, can make a lot of money, they pay dividends, they have good growth prospects and are solid financial companies have, you know, great balance sheets, a lot of, you know, cash, a lot of free cash flow, all the, all the great things that we want to see. And they're going to be around for a while and have are in, in businesses that are not really going to go anywhere. And so I bought two or three of those. And those are the kinds of things that I suggested to my sisters. And then from there, then you can start building out from there. So if those companies are more on the, I guess, lack of a better word, are more on the conservative side. In other words, they're not going to be the, the huge monster growers that you're, you, you can see in, in the stock market today. You know, they're not the Airbnbs and the snowflakes and everything, anything else that you want to, could want to add to that list. But, it doesn't mean that you can't take flyers on some of those as well. So in other words, if you have this great portfolio and you have two or three things in your portfolio that are going to be great bases and you can build around those, then you can start taking some chances with some other things. So for me, for example, you know, some of the things that I was suggesting to my family were things like maybe something like a company like a Microsoft or maybe a Facebook or something along those lines. The companies that are great companies that have great financials, for me personally, they're too expensive, but for my sisters, they're not. And they feel comfortable maybe taking a chance on something like that. For me, it's it's not my not my cup of tea. But by expanding your horizon and taking other companies that you feel like can grow at a little faster clip than your base is, but your base is still kind of the safe, secure ones, then your your portfolio is going to be a little more aggressive and it's going to maybe grow a bit faster than a normal recommendation would be. Now, there's nothing wrong with just going out and buying, uh, I wouldn't say just, there's nothing wrong with going out and buying uh ETFs or index funds that match the S&P 500, for example. Uh, the S&P 500 made, what, 16% this year? So that's nothing to sneeze at. So buying something like that is 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 great as well. If you want that to be your base and then you build on that, that's actually what my sister-in-law has done. She has built uh, a portfolio using some ETFs, and now she's in branching out and trying to look at some other stock individual stocks to build on that. So those are the kinds of things that I have done. And those are the kinds of things that I've been recommending uh, to my family to help them kind of get started because uh, my middle sister is closer to my age. I won't say her name because I won't say her age because I am a, a gentleman, but um, she is feeling the same way. She wants, she feels like she's a little bit behind and she wants to catch up. So she's trying to be a little more aggressive. And so those are, those are the kinds of things that, that, uh, I would recommend is tr- sticking more with 
uh, stocks and going lower on the fixed income and then just trying to find a great base of things you want to build around and then start branching out from there. And it, yeah, I've bashed Tesla on here more times than we can count, but in all seriousness, if you want to throw 1% or half a percent of your portfolio at a company like that, for, by all means, go for it. You know, there's nothing wrong with doing something like that because a, it, it, it makes you feel good that you see something going up like that. But by the same token, you're not risking your whole portfolio on it. And that's where I get concerned about companies like that. So I guess those are some of my thoughts. What are your thoughts, Andrew? My thoughts would be in the range of being somebody with a longer time frame. I, I guess I'm still pretty conservative for knowing that I have, let's say, 35 years now to basically screw it up, right? Uh, I, I still like to buy <laughs> companies. <laughs> I, 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 you know, maybe maybe to a fall. I, I I just I I don't like the idea of being lavishly loose with hard earned money, and and that goes for myself and for the people I give recommendations through to through the newsletter. Um, and so for me, it's about paying a, a fair price or buying a stock at a discount to what it should really be worth. And that, to me, is the same conversation whether we're talking about a 10-year time period, 20-year time period, or 40-year time period. And so the thing to keep in mind about the stock market, you know, next year, we don't know what's going to happen. It could crash 50% next year. In three years, same thing. It, it could crash this year, it could crash next year, it could crash in three years. And really, we don't know as each year goes by, but the longer that the years go by the less of a chance you have to lose money because the stock market does eventually recover. And we've seen that over time and time again. Sometimes it takes 10 years, 13 years, maybe two or three years, or in the case of 2020, something like five, six, seven, eight months. But the stock market does tend to recover even after big recessions and bear markets. And so if you're in long enough, then you're going to have a good chance to, to recover. That all being said, you know, so I, I don't think the time frame necessarily needs to factor into the kind of stocks that you're going to buy. In my mind, the, the time frame doesn't matter so much when it comes to the stocks you want to buy. You always want to buy a good company at a good price. And like Dave said, you want to have the financials there. You want to be a strong company with, with good prospects for the future. But you know, having that limited time frame starting out later, I, I think a, a allocation to bonds does sound really like a good idea too. Because with a limited time frame, you really don't have as much time to screw it up as like maybe I would have with a thirty-five or forty-year kind of frame. So, in that sense, you do want to have some of that wealth intact. And when you do have that wealth in bonds, and you have a, a good allocation there, then you have firepower to be able to attack when the market is down. And that's something I think that's even more critical as you get closer to 65 or, or wherever your retirement goal is. And I think that's another benefit to to putting stuff into bonds is if you can get the timing right and you can use some pow some like dry powder and some some fresh allocation in the stocks when they're down then that could be a benefit to be to kind of starting from behind because it's almost like your conservative nature gave you more opportunities 
can't tell you if that's really how it's going to play out or not. We don't know what the market's going to do, but those are just some thoughts. And those are really good thoughts. And I agree with that. The idea of having fresh powder is a fantastic idea. And I know that's something that honestly, when COVID hit and the lockdown started and the market tanked, uh, I wish I had had more because there were so many opportunities at that time to find great companies that now I wish I had had more, more powder to, to choose. And the ones that I did choose have done really, really well, but I just wish I had had more powder at that time. And so there are going to be times when the market is going to go down and having all of your money in the stock market at that time, depending on what it is that you're trying to do is you know, it's, it's obviously you want to have money in the market, but having opportunities when they do present themselves to take advantage of those is really, really how you can make a lot of money in the stock market. And that is, think about it as like when you buy socks, <laughs> you know, like Warren Buffett likes to say, he likes to buy stocks like he likes to buy socks when they're on sale. So that's really kind of where that comes down to. But I agree with what Andrew was saying. It, you really need to stick with what you're comfortable with and what your risk tolerance is. When I was talking to my family, for example, my sisters were both telling me they wanted to be more aggressive. And so when I think of that, I think of more aggressive kinds of companies. But I also would recommend for me and for anybody else that's not wanting to be that is having some sort of allocation towards bonds because that will help offset anything that might happen in the future. And like Andrew said, we don't know when that's going to happen. It could happen tomorrow. It could not happen for another 12 years. We don't know. And anybody that says they know, they aren't, they don't know. But uh, my point being is, is that it's, it's always great to have an idea of a, and a plan. And it doesn't mean that, as I mentioned earlier, it doesn't mean that the plan you have today doesn't have to be the plan that you have five years from now. If situation changes, you can change your your plan as well. So it doesn't have to be written in stone and you don't have to take it to the mountain. So uh, you just need to have a plan and then work your plan. And if things change, change plan. You know who did a great job of having dry powder for the uh, the, the recent crash we had? Uh, do tell. Andy Schuler, he actually he wrote a post about it on the website. So this is something I think we should share because I never thought of it before, but it's, it's pretty brilliant. So he talks about having a rainy day fund, and basically he has this money set aside. It's not so much for a rainy day, but it's more like an opportunity fund. And so what he does is when he saw the market go down, he took this money that could, I guess it could be for a rainy day or, or could be... What was the other example? Now, I'm not doing him nearly enough justices as he wrote about, but like these kind of unexpected expenses. So basically, this rainy day fund that works like an opportunity fund. And he essentially made his whole Roth contribution for the year right at that time when stocks were really, really low and just was able to capitalize and do very, very well for himself. And he shared about it on the blog. And I thought it was really inspiring. And a good thing to keep in mind, because for me, I'm always thinking, you know, maybe a dollar cost averaging method is great, which it is. But at the same time, if you have extra money stashed somewhere, keep that in the back of your mind. When you see an opportunity, you can, you can fund them more money in and really take advantage of the market when the market's giving you what you want. 
Yeah, that's a brilliant idea. I wish I had thought of that for sure. Uh, I'm actually going to go make a plan for that right now. So that's a great idea. Thank you for sharing that. That's awesome. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank everybody for sending us those fantastic questions. Those were really, really great questions. I really appreciate it. So without any further ado, I'm going to go aside us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.